Welcome this morning to The Battles Within as we continue our series on Who is Jesus? You know, as we decided to start this series, one of the things that we thought about was if we're going to start doing a series of Bible studies, we definitely need to start with who is Jesus? Because, see, that is really the most important question you can ask. Who is Jesus? Before we get started today, we want to start with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we can have. We can study your word. We can learn something about you I thank you, Lord, for all the great blessings you send our way. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word today. We may be able to understand a better understanding of who Jesus is, because that's really the question that we all have to ask and have to answer for. It's what we do with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all the things that you do for us. Again, help us with the reading and teaching of your word today. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray it. Amen. So again, we thank you very much for your involvement here today, and uh, we're going to get started. Today is our second in the series on um, uh, Who is Jesus, and we're beginning this part talks about the pre-existence of Jesus. And as you remember that we talked about the different things that we'll be covering, and the second thing we'll be talking about other than the introduction and why it's important to know who Jesus is. That's the question that Jesus asked, remember? He asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And then he asked, who do you think, who do you say that I am? And uh, we went through that last week. So this week we're going to be talking about the pre-existence of Jesus. And the first thing we did, we have to do, we have to cover this topic is the topic of the Trinity. Because if you don't understand that Jesus himself is God, 100% God, then you can't understand the life of who Jesus is. Because without knowing that Jesus is equal to God, because he is God, the one God, in three essence, then you can't understand who Jesus is. Now, we're going to start the reading of our scripture. We'll come from John uh, we will deal with this part because John, no one really knew John better, Jesus uh, as well, perhaps, as John the Apostle, being one of his cousins, but also being a follower of John the Baptist and then a follower of Jesus. And we know that in, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John, having already seen the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that talked about Jesus' birth and his, his human side, the um, John wanted to make sure they understood who Jesus was. I think that's one of the most important things, and I'm sorry i got a problem with my contact today. So if you see me rubbing my eyes, <laughs> that's what the issue is. But uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is just how John starts off the story of Jesus. The other started off with the birth of Jesus. Well, John wants to talk about the real beginning. And he says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. See, John takes you before the birth in the manger. 
He takes you back to the beginning. In the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, since God had no beginning, the beginning of our thoughts, the beginning of where our minds can take us to, in the beginning, before anything else was, was the Word. The Word is Logos, by the way, and we'll talk about that a little more, but the Logos, or Essence, was with God. The essence of God was with God, and the essence of God was God. The Word, the Logos, Jesus, was the beginning. The same was in the beginning with God. The same, saying that Jesus and God are the same. The same in the beginning of God. All things were made by Him, so this person was the creator of the world. So now, let's as we talk about the Trinity, let's first of all, let me say, there's no way I can explain... Uh, really much of what we're going to discuss today. Simply put, my finite mind is not going to be able to comprehend an infinite God, uh, nor God's ways. I'm just not going to be able to do that. You're not going to, be able to do that. This is why God gives us his holy word. See, God gives us the scripture so that we can understand who he was who he is. Without having the Holy Word of God, we can't understand who God is. Don't let anybody come to you today with these new ideas. All these fake religions came about because men tried to choose another way to tell you about God other than his Holy Scripture that he inspired men. He breathed the very words that God wanted us to understand about himself in the Scriptures. All Scripture given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is profitable, the Bible says. So we understand about God, we understand about Jesus because of his word. See, John knew Jesus as a man having a personal relationship daily with him for over three years. John knew Jesus personally. Still more than that, John knew who he really was. He was God himself. So when we look at John chapter 1 for him to speak to us, to share with us what he knew about this man, Jesus. And the first thing he tells us was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. You see, John wanted you to understand that more than understanding that he was the man, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, he was the God, Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. He was the ultimate power. And he died. He submitted himself. So the central theme, you know, Jesus is the central theme of the Bible. It's through reading and studying of this great book that we can know anything about him or who he is. So today, as we begin our study of this pre-existence of Jesus, there was... Because understand, there was never a time when Jesus did not exist. There was never a time. So if we're going to talk about the pre-existence of Jesus before his birth, he always existed. There was never a time he did not exist. So to do this, as we said before, we're going to need to discuss the Trinity. And later on, we'll see about the Incarnation. We'll talk about that perhaps next week. But for today, we're going to focus on the Trinity. Again, understand, I give you up front that I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about the Trinity and not 
my own thoughts about the Trinity because I can't think, I can't comprehend it. You know, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Because the only way we can understand about God is through hearing and reading His Word. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 said, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there's things we have to understand by faith. And Trinity is one of those things. All Christians believe in the doctrine of Trinity. Matter of fact, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then you're not a Christian. Plain and simple. Well, I believe Jesus is the Savior, but I believe he was a man. Then you're not a Christian. <laughs> uh, if you don't believe in the Savior, the Savior is who he was. You know, it, it, you can't make up things for people. Uh, you have to know who they are. You can't change a person to be something else. You know, in history, we try to do that. Historians try to change a pretty bad person into a nice person if that's their political views. We watch that on the news today. We see uh, the news media who's biased towards a particular political party uh, changes the narrative to make it look differently. When the reality is, we know what the reality is. You know, I mean, don't paint a skunk a different color and tell me they're not a skunk. Just because you want to sell skunk hair, skunk fur. I mean, you know, but as a Christian, if you have come to sell the conclusion that the doctrine of Trinity is not true, then you're not a Christian. You have to believe in the Trinity. You have to understand that Jesus was God, the God, and that he was 100% God. Um, if you don't, you consider a heretic. Christians worldwide unite in proclaiming that our God exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We unite together, regardless of your uh, uh, denominational beliefs. We as Christians must believe that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist as one. Those who deny this truth are not part of the Christian church. So, you know, given that fact, it's interesting, of course, that it's kind of a paradox in the fact that the Trinity is a mystery, and yet we believe it's true. Why? Because we believe what the Bible teaches. I don't have to understand about God. I just have to, I have to accept what he says about him. What is the Trinity? Well, now, let me tell you, first of all, there's at least three reasons for believing in the Trinity. Number one, the Bible teaches it. So the Bible teaches it is true. So therefore, we have to believe it because the Bible teaches it. Second of all, true believers or Christians everywhere have always believed it to be true. There's never been a time we did not believe that Jesus was God and that there's only one God. So therefore, there must be this thing called a Trinity. And by the way, there's no other, the final thing of the reason for believing in Trinity is there's no other way to explain it that makes sense. Some have said it this way, if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind. But if you deny it, you will lose your soul. So let's try to define the, 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 the Trinity. Well, you know, I'm a licensed preacher to preach in the uh, the original Free Will Baptist in North Carolina. And so I'm going to show you why we, because uh, 
because most denominations, I've looked at several, and most of them, Southern Baptists, other people, they have the same thing in their articles of faith. But because I'm an original federal Baptist, I'm going to use our articles of faith. And Article 4 states this in our uh, Articles of Faith of the Original Free Baptist. It says, Article 4 says, The Doctrine and Trinity. We believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God without beginning or end who is indivisible in His nature or being. That is the Trinity. It did not use the term Trinity, but that is the Trinity. We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God without beginning or end who is indivisible in His nature or being. So all those who agree to be free will Baptist, original free will Baptists and become members of original free will Baptist churches believe in this doctrine of the Trinity. Article 4. Uh, one God and only one. The Bible teaches us that. Isaiah 46.9 says, For I am God, there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. There is one and only one God. Jeremiah 10.6 says, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great and thy name is great in might. There is none other like him. See, then Mark 12.29, this is coming from Jesus and he actually quotes Deuteronomy 6.4, but Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord. There's only one God. Now, we know that there is only one God. We believe there's only one God. The Bible teaches there's only one God. So then, the next thing about understanding about the Trinity is this, this one God exists in three persons. The one God exists in three persons. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Remember, John referred to Jesus as the Word in John chapter 1. So he says, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. The Bible clearly teaches the Trinity, that there are three persons in the one God. Uh, these gods, these one, this one God, these three persons are all equal. They're not submissive to each other. The grace is, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, they're on equal grounds. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God that's referring to the Father, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. They're equally important. Uh, they're also equally worthy of praise and worship. Matthew 28, 19. And this is a very famous verse we all know. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So you cannot do one without the other. God is three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and they are one God. Yet, and we know they're one God, yet we know that they act uh, in unity. 1 Peter 1 2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, 
unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we see that men are saved because they acknowledge God who they answer to. They are sanctified or set apart through the Holy Spirit conviction in their lives through the faith and believing of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood. I have a message entitled, what, what is it about the blood? And you can actually go to, to the Battle of Zimbabwe. I think I have it recorded on there. I think I've presented it somewhere. It's already on there. But the uh, something about the blood. I know I did because I, I preached it at uh, Corinth uh, Free Will Baptist Church in uh, Dunn. So it should be online on our website. But anyway, the point is, each of these have a purpose. Each of these distinct characteristics, the foreknowledge, men are saved because they acknowledge God and their sin. They are sanctified through the Spirit, set apart through the Holy Spirit conviction, power, and the power. No man can be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. The Holy Spirit has to convict you and draw you. It's not a mental thing. It's a heart thing. Right? Um... So anyway, and then the sprinkling of the blood, Jesus' sacrifice, accepting the fact of his blood sacrifice on the cross for our sins, the sin had to be covered by the blood. So we see in 1 Peter 1-2, we see the three distinct acting in unity. Now, the early church struggled with the Trinity and simply broke it down into two short statements about God. One, he is essence. It says, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, but they are not three gods, but one God. This is what the early church says. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but they are not three gods, but only one God. And then they said their second statement was three in person. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. But each is God individually, and yet they are together the true God of the Bible. Now, some use the term Godhead to refer to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as three divine persons in one God. That is the Trinity. That is what the early church teaches, and that's what we teach today. That is broken down simple, more simple for you. Now, the chief objection to the doctrine of the Trinity is really used by, as an example, is used by the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, by the way, Jehovah Witnesses are not saved. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They believe in someone they call Jesus, but he's not because Jesus is God. He's eternal. And they don't believe that. And here's what they believe. They say uh, that they, they believe that, um, that, that the Trinity is an absurd statement. Because their view is one plus one plus one equals three. So in their mind, Christians, those of us who believe in the Trinity, Christians worship three gods, not one God. We don't worship the God the Father alone. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We worship God who manifests himself in the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. <coughs> See, the doctrine of Trinity is not absurd if it's what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible teaches it. It clearly, we showed you already that the Bible teaches the Trinity. So you could also view it, if you're going to use this mathematical term, you could do this. One 
times 1 times 1 equals 1. So instead of 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1, that's thinking too small, isn't it? Addition is not the same as multiplication. Multiplication is a lot bigger term. So therefore, 1 times 1 times 1, 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. God is 1, 3 and 1. So if we try to explain the Trinity, what do we don't mean? Well, we already just talked about it. First thing is there, there are several people who tried to, to talk about the Trinity and tried to explain it in something that's called tritheism. Tritheism is a belief in three gods. This, by the way, is heresy. They are not three gods. It is one God. God is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three in one. There's only one God. So tritheism is not correct. It's heresy. The second thing that uh, people try to explain would say is something called modalism. They believe that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three forms of God. They're like steam, ice, steam, water, and ice are all really one substance that comes out in three different forms. That is not correct either because they're unique, distinct entities that are there at the same time. Some people say, God the Father became the Son, and then He lives, and then he, now He's Spirit. That he, he, he morphed into these three different things. That's modalism. That is not correct. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are existing at the same time. And we've seen that too. Some believe that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are pieces of, of God. That simply means that Jesus is a third of God and that the, that the Father is a third of God and that the Holy Spirit is a third of God. That is also heresy. That's not correct. You know, where do we find the doctrine of Trinity in the Bible? Well, the term is not used, but we can clearly see that it's taught. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's implications of it. Deuteronomy 6 4 that Jesus quoted. It tells us the Lord God, the Lord is one. And the direct statement in New, uh, the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, says there is no God but one. 2 Timothy 2, 5 explicitly says there is one God. The Bible also contains clear statements regarding the diversity within that unity. So we know the Bible clearly teaches to us, right, that there's one God. We know that. There's one God, but then the Bible also teaches that there's a diversity within that union. For Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. Now, the word they use there for God is Elohim. Elohim is a plural form of the word El, E-L, which is actually used here. So, uh, instead of saying El, you know, in the beginning was El, God, singular. The term used is Elohim, which is plural for God. So even in the beginning, the very first thing that Moses wrote was in the beginning, contains a clear statement that there was in the beginning, God, plural, God, they, they created the heavens and earth. And God said, let us, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female, created he, them. Notice how this shifts from let us in our image. So God created man in his own image. He created him. See, God talks about the plural and the singular. It's the Trinity. God talks about it. Uh, so we see here, even in the beginning, Moses understood that God was a Trinity, that there was God. We, the Trinity, created man in his own, in our, in my image, he says. So he moves from us and ours to he. So in Genesis chapter 1, you know, if it doesn't explicitly teach the Trinity, it clearly shows a diversity in union within the Godhead. Um, and it definitely leaves room later to develop that in the Bible from the very beginning. Isaiah 48, 16 says, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, here am I, and now the Lord God and His Spirit hath sent me. We see here in this verse, the Lord God is the Father. We see, and His Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Hath sent me is a prophecy of the Son. So in Isaiah 48, we see in the Old Testament, it's talking to us about the Lord God Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. We see the acts of the Trinity here. In Isaiah 48. Now, let's look at some more evidence. All three persons are called by God in different places in the Bible. The Father, Galatians 1.1, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So we see the Father is mentioned as God. John 20.28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Referring to the Son. Acts 5, 3-4. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Then skip down to the end part of verse 4. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Referring to the Holy Spirit as God. See, we see the Bible clearly tells us that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Now we already looked at God is one, the Bible tells us. So clearly the Trinity is portrayed. So how could the Son and the Spirit be called God unless they were somehow shared in God's essence? How could we? Well, if they share in God's essence, then they're God along with the Father. How can they be called God unless they are God? They must share in God's essence, who He is, because they are Him. Finally, all three parts are seen together on equal basis in innumerable passages. So now we see, not only does the Bible talk about this one God, not only does the Bible talk about the three separate persons within the one God, but now we see all three of these persons at the same place at the same time, showing that they are separate entities, but yet one. <laughs> I can't explain it, but we see it. Uh, we see it at the baptism of Jesus. 
Remember, we saw the voice of the Father, the Son being baptized, and the Spirit descending like a dove. Matthew 3, 13-17. We see it in salvation, 1 Peter 1, 2. Chosen by the Father. We just read that verse, right? Chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood. So it's your salvation. All three are seen. All three are part of your salvation. Sanctification, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Love of God. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Is part of our sanctification. When Christians are baptized, right? We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, we already read that. So we see them present in there. Prayers in Ephesians 13, 3, 14 through 21. Strengthened by His Spirit. Know the love of Christ. Filled with the fullness of God. So in our prayers, they're part of our prayers. We aren't just praying. We're praying to God. And God has a part. All three entities has a part of that. So we see that prayer, that, that, that God is a part of all these. The Trinity is active in our lives. It's not just one thing for one time, one thing for another time, one thing for another time. That's not the way it is. God is active today. His, his, tri, his, his uh, Trinity, the Godhead, is active in everything we do. They are one. Christian growth, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, Chosen by God, loved by the Lord, sanctified by the Spirit. See, God is working as we grow in our Christian lives. The Trinity is on display in everything we do in our Christian life. Now, listen, if the doctrine of the Trinity was not true, it would be blasphemy to speak freely of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one and the same breath. It would be blasphemy. Yet, it's not blasphemy because it's true. So, now, how would you explain the Trinity to somebody else? Well, to be quite honest with you, this is a profound mystery. The Trinity is, right? I mean, I can't explain it because our finite minds would say that doesn't make any sense. Not to us. But there's many things I can't understand about God. I can't understand how a powerful God would give up everything he had. His son would give up what he had on the throne over everything to come to earth to die for ungrateful men. To die for someone wicked as me who deserves to die and has spent eternity tormented for my sins, who continue on in sin as I struggle daily. As Paul said, the good I would do, I do it not. The good I would not do, that I do. But thankful to the grace of God who is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we ask it in his name. We can see the Trinity in various events such as the baptism and the garden. Interesting enough, uh, according to tradition, a number of years ago, hundreds of years ago, there was a something that was created to demonstrate the Trinity. And it's the pretzel. I didn't know if you knew that or not. The pretzel was created by a monk, uh, or at least according to tradition, uh, it was created by a monk to illustrate the Trinity to children in his village. So he took some dough and he looped it into the familiar three shapes that we see and you know, based it and then gave it to the children as an edible object lesson. So when they saw the pretzel, they could think this was God. Now, <coughs> excuse me, 
Tony Evans commented about the pretzel, saying it was a good illustration because it consists of one piece of dough with three holes. And guess what he said? If you take away one of the holes, then it isn't a pretzel anymore. A pretzel is the design. You see a pretzel. Some people have pretzel sticks, right? They're not. <laughs> That's not a pretzel. That's the material that pretzels are made out of. But a pretzel is always the three designs. That's a pretzel. The other are just pretzel materials. So I know my wife likes to eat the straight pretzels, or either they make this little now they make these little uh, 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 like crouton-looking pretzels and stuff. They're neat. They taste good, but they're not pretzels. They're pretzel material. A pretzel has three circles, and it was designed by again according to tradition uh, to show the unity. Without any of those three, it's not a pretzel anymore. It's just a treat. Uh, the so therefore you could use the pretzel to explain. A little bit about God, if you wanted to, to children. That's a pretty neat way of doing it. Uh, so let's apply the Trinity. There's five ramifications of the truth of the Trinity. The Trinity helps us answer certain questions. One, what was God doing before he created the universe? Well, the Trinity teaches us that before the foundations of the world, God was having fellowship with his own being. That's why the Bible tells us that the Father loves the Son. John 17, 24 says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So before the world began, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in fellowship with each other. So we understand that. This is also important because in some sense we can never understand, you know, we can't understand the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they forever communicated and loved each other. So we don't understand the Trinity, but we know that they had fellowship in this union with one God. This one God loved his three persons. It also teaches that God was never alone. He was never lonely. He didn't create man because he was lonely. Some people say, God was lonely, sitting up there on the throne with nothing to do, so he created man. That is not true. <laughs> that is not true. God desired to give man life so that he has someone to worship him. That's true. God wanted man. God loved man from the beginning. From the foundations of the world, he established. He knew what it was going to cost him. He knew it was going to cost him his life on the cross for our sins to redeem this world that he was about to create. He knew that and he did it anyway because he's loved for us. He loved us before he knew us. It also teaches us that God, uh, the Trinity, number two, the Trinity sets the limits on human speculation about the nature of God. See, uh, there's so much we would like to know about God, but our, our finite minds cannot comprehend it. Right? Therefore, uh, we are not free to create God in our own image. We can't create God because we see just understanding, trying to understand the Trinity blows our mind. So there's no way we could create or think of what God is or who God is other than what God reveals to us in His Word. He revealed to us in His Word the Trinity. We can't understand it. If we can't understand that, why would God give us any more about Him? Well, you know, I wonder about that. You wonder all you want to, but the bottom line is we can't understand it. You can spend your time, your day and nights trying to comprehend God, and you're not going to do it. 
Understand what he says in his word about him. God is love. God is spirit. God is Jesus. God is the Holy Spirit. I mean, God is one. Uh, uh, for God so loved. God so loved the world before he created it that he gave his only begotten son. See, uh, so the Trinity teaches us that uh, there's a limit for what we can expect as a human. That God is more than Trinity, but he's definitely not less than that. So if we can't understand the Trinity, why would he tell us any more? Uh, any more details in that nature? Because we couldn't understand it. That's why God just started off in the beginning God. Because we couldn't understand it if he did tell us more. See, the Trinity teaches that God is beyond all human comprehension. Uh, if he could explain it to us, we couldn't understand it. See, God is much more than one in essence, three in persons. But since I can't even understand those simple phrases, you know, I, I can't worry about anything else. You know, if you feel baffled by the Trinity, hey, join the crowd. Uh, uh, I was talking to uh, 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 one of my good friends and mentors, uh, brother Dr. Rudy Owens, now chancellor at the Carolina Bible Institute. I was talking to him the other day about this subject because uh, I was doing some research on it, and, and I was talking about the Trinity. I said, how, how do you explain the Trinity? It's kind of difficult to do. And he says, <laughs> uh, that is very difficult. It's a very difficult topic, very difficult topic. But again, I felt like we need to talk about the Trinity if we're going to try to know who Jesus is because Jesus is God. He is one of the three. He is God. No matter what we do, we have to understand that. See, and, and let me say the fourth thing about this is that ramification is that the greatest minds of history have stood in amazement before God and still cannot comprehend God to be able to explain who he is and what his ways are. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as heaven, saith the Lord, for as the heaven are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. <laughs> we, can't, we can't understand that at all. Uh, the fourth thing, the Trinity exalts the Son and the Spirit. The Trinity exalts the Son and the Spirit. We all know that the Father is to be worshipped. Now we know that the Son is to be worshipped. The truth leads us back to the Trinity. He is not merely the Son of God, but also God the Son. The same can be said about the Holy Spirit. We're not doing a study on the Holy Spirit. We may do that one day. But that, but the focus here today was on the Son. But just to talk about the Spirit just a minute as one of the three, uh, He is not just a force, but a divine person. Not an influence or some vague power, but the third person of the Trinity. Understand, the Holy Spirit is a person not just a third bystander. The fifth thing we want to help us understand, the Trinity helps us understand what really happened at the cross. See, at the climax of Jesus' suffering, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast you forsaken me? You know, that's a strange, tortured words, and what do they mean? Uh, we have a hint about that, because every other time he referred to the to God, he referred to him as Father. But this more moment, when he bore the full weight of sin of the world, and all evil and wretchedness was poured upon him, 
in some way, you know, we can't phantom God who could not look upon sin turned his back on his own son. Now, how can that happen? You know, sin, as it were, caused a rupture in the Trinity. I don't know. I mean, that's what the, the, I've read. I don't know that. I can't explain that. Don't people come back to me and say, hey, that didn't happen. You know, I, yeah, listen, I don't know what happened. I just know the Bible says that Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me or turned away from me? And instead of Father, Jesus cries out, my God, my God. It is God, understand now, this is God speaking to God. The eternal Son cries out to the Father at the moment when the penalty of sin has been paid upon him, as if it asks, how could one man pay for the sins of the entire, uh, you know, if you think about this, the question is asked, how could one man pay for the sins of the entire race? And we find that answer in the doctrine of the Trinity. How can one man pay for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future? We find that in the Trinity. Only an infinite God could bear the sins of the world. Now, quickly, we're going to look at those scripture verses that we have for today. And it's really going to be really quick. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. One, Jesus was the Logos. We talked about that. The essence of God. He was before the beginning of time. Present with the Father. Jesus was the creator of all we see and know. We can know that now because we understand the Trinity. At least the concepts of the Trinity. He Himself was God. At the Council of Nicaea, in 325 A.D., the leaders of the church developed, declared several foundational truths of the church to follow. Number one, they declared this. The Father. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, all-sovereign, maker of all, seen and unseen. That's the Father. The Son. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten, begotten means of the same materials, from the Father as the only begotten, that is from the Father, substance, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, homo Lucius with the Father. That means the same materials, the same substance. He is God. That's called the Nicene Creed. And then, of course, they also said the Holy Spirit, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, He is God. There's something called the Anatheist in Anathemus in Creed. This is what they said. But those who say there is a, there was a time when he was not made, talking about Jesus, and he was not before he was made, and he was not he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance or essence, or the son of uh, the the sum of God is created, or changeable or alterable. This is what they said about that. They are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And the Catholic Church they talk about is the Universal Church, not the Roman Catholic Church. But said that if, if you say anything like that, then you are condemned by the Church. The Church fully accepted that Jesus is God and that the Trinity is truth. Uh, as we conclude today, we study who, as we consider to study who Jesus is, we must first understand that He is God. He is part of the Trinity. We cannot discuss, explain the Trinity, you know, as seen as we discuss 
But we can say without a doubt that the Bible teaches about him and clearly shows that it is true. As the Council of Nicaea determined in 325 AD that knowing Jesus as the eternal God is critical for knowing and trusting Jesus as our Savior. You've got to believe he is God, that he is a trinity. For if he is not God, he would not have been able to die for our sins and therefore not be the perfect sacrifice all man would need. Now, a lot covered today. So join me next week now as we continue our discussion of the preeminence or the preexistence, I mean, of Jesus as shown in Scripture. So we're, our hopes is next week God will lead us to talk about his appearances, or what's called Christophanies or Theophanies, appearances of Christ, appearances of God in the Old Testament. And we'll try to cover some of those events that took place showing you that Jesus himself existed not just as a Godhead, but he also existed in the lives of men and interfaced with man before his birth in Bethlehem. So that's the target for next week. So uh, thank you for your time, your attention. A lot covered in this. Take your time. Go back through it. Listen to it. Give me some feedback. <coughs> you know, anything that you'd like to have or discuss or things you disagree with. And things. That, if I have errors, please, this Trinity is a tough subject. Please, if you have some comments or errors that I can correct, I'd be glad to add them in future uh, sessions as we go forward. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We have, what a powerful message. We thank you, Lord God. Lord God, Father, Lord God, Son, Lord God, Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, you tell us to pray through your Son, so we will pray in the name of Jesus. Through the Spirit of the Holy Spirit in us, that we will pray as you sanctified us and filled us with your Spirit, making us a new creature. We will pray through the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father God above, who sees all, knows all. We thank you, Lord, for this understanding of this scripture that we can understand. Lord, we know you're, you are much more infinite and powerful than we can even begin to imagine, but we can know this. If a powerful God, if the powerful, only true powerful God cared enough about me to send his only begotten son to die for me, that I might know you, then, Lord, I thank you for that gift. I pray, Lord, you help me to share that gift with others so that they might be partakers of this great, awesome gift that you've given. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and your attention today. It's powerful, uh, a powerful lesson here in, uh, studying, um, <clears throat> in studying about God's Word and studying about the Trinity. And we thank you for your time. Join us next week as we continue on this series who is Jesus?